This podcast from Teacher is supported by the Megamix Social Schools Program at Arts Centre Melbourne. Search Megamix Social to access free performing arts experiences for your students. Thanks for listening to this podcast special from Teacher Magazine. I'm Zoe Kaskamanidis. It's clear that books and resources have a big impact on student learning. So when schools are under-resourced, it can create extra barriers for students to engage with important content and can make it harder for teachers to teach. This problem is magnified even more when we're talking about remote schools with limited access to resources, especially resources that connect schools with the important work and knowledge of first scientists in Australia. I'm joined in this episode by Corey Tutt, founder and CEO of Deadly Science, an organisation that provides science resources to remote schools in Australia to inspire and celebrate the next generation of Indigenous people in STEM. Corey, thank you for joining Teacher Magazine. To start us off, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your own school experience and how Deadly Science started? Yeah, Yama everyone. My name is Corey Tutt, a proud Gamilaroi man. And, um, you know, very interesting that my career in science started off as a child, picking up lizards and snakes. And we always know that kid that always picked up reptiles that, you know, and I pretty much never grew out of it. I dreamt of being Harry Butler or Harold Cogger or even um, Rod Bull. Like these were, these were herpetologists that I grew up idolizing. But, you know, for me, being a young Aboriginal man from Nowra as well, you know, working in science wasn't really something that I was encouraged to do. Um, the only real praise I got at school was when I was scoring tries on the footy field or, you know, those were the kinds of things that we encourage Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students to be. Um, and for me, I was always really interested in reptiles and history and animals and things like that. So when time came and I, I was about to leave school, it was fairly difficult because I, you know, I wasn't the best kid because of my upbringing, um, I had a lot of trauma in my life and I desperately wanted to be that wildlife documenter. So I had three options, um, which was zookeeper, wildlife documenter. Um, and my cousins always, um, used to laugh and say, you're David Attenborough. Um, but for me, the third one was ABC sports commentator. Cause I knew I could talk and I knew I liked footy and I could sponsor the other two. And I was told by my careers advisor that, you know, I better stick to a trade because kids like me end up probably dead or in jail. And, and there were some harsh words at the time, but I took them literally and I left home at 16, saved up some money and I went over to Boy Upbrook in Western Australia and started working in a wildlife sanctuary there. And after a few months, I'd come back to start studying zookeeping and animal studies and and going from animal courses and I worked at, which is now known as Shoalhaven Zoo, but it was called Nara Wildlife Park back then. And, you know, I had to prove myself there. And eventually I got that first zookeeper uniform. I got that first paycheck as a zookeeper and it was my proudest moment. And this is a trigger warning as well. But, you know, when you're working for very, very little pay and also traveling a, a considerable distance for um, work, it, you know, you really have to love the job. And I, I certainly did love the job, but then my best mate passed away, which was not great. And, you know, just like most young people, we have eps and flows and, and sometimes we could be driving along and we hit a pothole and, and that was probably me and it accumulated me probably resigning from the zoo. And 
I saw an ad in the paper for an alpaca handler and I figured that, you know what, I'm already feeding a four meter crocodile and, and picking up snakes. I'm sure I can handle an alpaca. First alpaca I ever saw after being shown how to put them down, it headbutted me in the face and broke my cheekbone. And it was masculinely named Pikachu as well, which is, um, <laughs> again, I wish it was named like four or, or like, you know, Hercules or something like that. But no, it was named Pikachu. The granddaughter of the farmers that bred it named it that. So, you know, the moment I realized I was a resilient person was when I kept cheering and I kept going and, and I did it for a few years. And, and then I kind of got sick of it because all my mates were getting girlfriends and things. And I actually wanted a normal job, a nine to five job. So I started working at the RSPCA and then I learned how to do Delta training, which is like the dog training. And I learned how to do rehabilitation. It was a hard job because, you know, you had to see the very best and the worst of humanity in the same day. And it was very, very tough. And then I moved on to the Animal Welfare League in Ingleside and I worked there and I was the only male in the shelter for a long time. So I meant any big scary dogs were sent my way. And that's where I met my um, partner. And, you know, I decided then I wanted more for myself. And I I was probably, you know, I was a lot, I was very, very smart and I probably didn't realize I was smart until that moment. And I started working at Garvin Institute and I learned how to be an animal technician. Um, I did my courses down there. I learned genetics. I learned medical research. I learned how to read a paper. I learned how to um, breed mice, medical research, which is, is pretty complicated as well. I learned all about metallurgy rates and how a certain pheromone or a bit of cologne or aftershave can affect the mice and how they breed and things like that. And then I moved on to the University of Sydney where I worked as an animal tech from 2015 all the way on to 2019. And from there, I, I started Deadly Science and I started working with kids in Waterloo and Redfern and, and discussing all things science. Because in my career in the animal industry and in my long career, I'd met very few Aboriginal people. Actually, it was, it was quite sad. And I was always quite sad about that because um, not many people had big brown eyes or big black nose like me. And uh, not many people look like me or experience the things that I experienced. So I never really, I felt really isolated in those industries. And I always thought, I wonder how many other kids are like me that have potential, but they just don't have the right upbringing or the right opportunities. So for me, I, I really was at a stage where I, I needed to start giving back and I needed to feel... Like for me to find my purpose, I needed to reach out and talk to other people. And it was really great. I started working with these kids and started talking about all things science. And then we found out they just had no resources. Like kids at a young age just didn't have books and, and things like that. And um, I just decided to do something about it. It was nothing complicated about it. I didn't feel right, um, you know, remote schools, not having any books or resources. And I, I started Googling remote schools and yarning with them and and found that I was just really under-resourced and that was, that was terrible. So I started sending resources out to remote communities. I started working two jobs and then I, um, I started to GoFundMe as well. And the GoFundMe ended up raising something like $250,000 over its lifetime. And, and then I turned it into a charity. And, and then June last year, I decided that I would employ myself with Deadly Science. And, um, you know, it kind of grew from there. And, and now we send thousands of resources. We engage kids online and in person. But it really was just born out of, you know, just I see that it's wrong that kids don't get the opportunity and I wanted to find a solution for it. And that's all it really is. We'll hear more from Corey after this quick message from our sponsor. 
You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by Megamix Social at Arts Centre Melbourne. Megamix Social is a free program of performing arts experiences for schools. Primary and secondary students can attend live music, theatre, circus, tours and workshops. Our program has been designed to ignite excitement, build friendships and re-engage students after remote learning. Visit artscentremelbourne.com.au forward slash megamixsocial. You spoke a lot about how remote schools are under-resourced. So when you've spoken to educators in these schools, what was it they struggle with in terms of getting access to Indigenous resources in their classrooms? How did you first notice this gap in resources? You know, if you had asked me this when I was in high school, I would have had a completely different answer for you. But the thing for me is that teachers often are overworked. They're often underappreciated. When the school day ends, the teacher's day doesn't necessarily end because there's a lot of prep that goes into teaching kids. There's a lot of things that that we probably don't see as students when we're young. You know, for me, the, the gap in resources actually affects not just students, it affects teachers. Teachers are often using their own money and resources to purchase things for their students. And and for me, the gap in Indigenous knowledge is it comes from colonisation and colonisation alone. You know, the fact that we've deleted histories and we've deleted knowledges means that non-Indigenous people don't understand Indigenous perspectives. In And how, how can we possibly um, expect non-Indigenous teachers to teach Indigenous perspectives in the curriculum when they haven't had the opportunity to learn it? Yeah, and we know that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been practising science longer than any other culture, but still make up a very small proportion of scientists in Australia. Why is it important that students in remote communities have better access to STEM resources early in life, especially resources that connect students with the knowledge of first scientists in Australia? Really important because um, STEM is just as important as literacy, uh, especially at that developmental age. Um, Just having the access to Lego and learning how to build things it encourages our kids mathematics. It encourages our kids to, to be able to create. It, it encourages kids to think outside the block, uh, the, the um, box, the block, um, Lego pun. But for me, the thing that it does is that it encourages kids to play with each other and share ideas. So it's good for building relationships. And, you know, often when we think of scientists, we think of lab coats, we think of Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, but that's not necessarily what a scientist looks like. And science and STEM really brings young people together. You know, just looking at some of the photos we got today, and when I look at the young kids playing with Lego that Deadly Science sent them, they're all showing each other in the photos what they've built. And it's that, that, that light bulb moment that that's the thing that brings us together. So I think science is, a, you know, we, also, we always say that sport brings people together, but actually I think STEM brings people together as well. And you know, it's really important that these resources are that are sent to schools because it's, you know, whether you can speak English or read or write very well, it honestly does not matter. It doesn't matter, like, you know, who they are. They just need that opportunity. And that's the most important thing. And I have to say a big congratulations on your Eureka Prize win last year. Since Deadly Science started, you shipped over 16,000 books and 500 telescopes and other STEM resources out to over 100 remote schools in Australia, which is just fantastic. Can you tell me a bit more about the impact this has had for students in these schools and remote communities? We've been sending resources at an alarming rate over the last couple of months because we've just been trying to get as much as many resources out as possible. It's been a hectic sort of um, time. 
So, you know, we we work with over a hundred, over a hundred remote community schools now. Yeah, it's been really important. So we're we're doing some really great stuff in that area. And when you work with over a hundred schools, you have so many interesting conversations you have to have. And it's it's very, very hard. So yeah. Mm-hmm. It's opened the door for a lot of kids. You know, there's been a couple of kids that you know, they may have had behavioural issue, issues related to trauma and things like that. And, um, you know, for example, there's been one school that we had and, and one of the principals said to us that there's a little boy in their school that really struggled in getting into class, but the Deadly Science books that we donated have provided that kid with an opportunity to actually go to school and sit in the classroom and, and still learn. So the the resources itself, the mentoring is actually being able to get the kids back in the classroom, which is really important. And speaking of mentoring, can you tell us a bit about how mentorship in STEM can work within remote communities and how this impacts student learning? You can't, um, you can't be what you can't see. And allowing kids to connect with scientists and STEM professionals opens up the opportunity for young people to see themselves in careers. You know, that just like Harry Butler was for me or Paul Sinclair um, or anyone that has worked in this space that's Indigenous or like, um, you know, non-Indigenous that inspires the next generation. There's a lot of people that can inspire these kids. So giving these kids access to those people, because you never know like that. I always think when I sign a book for a kid or like I, I connect with a young student in a remote community, you know, I always remember the time that I got my football signed by like an an NRL player, right? And I know it's different, but, you know, if I can be that moment for someone else and some other young person, then I'm tickled pink. I think that's great. So every time we can provide that moment, that that life-changing moment, it's, you know, we have the opportunity to do that every day and we're very, very lucky to have that. And how can schools start to do things differently to better learn about, celebrate and inspire Indigenous people in STEM? Uh, engage your First Nations communities, um, engage your elders, engage your AOs, empower your kids. Don't put too much pressure on your kids to do acknowledgement of countries and things like that. Listen to them, listen to their perspectives. There's plenty of great literature out there. So you can, you can actually buy a lot of books that have a lot of Aboriginal science and Indigenous perspectives in there. So I think there's many ways you can get involved. I think just having an open mind and and, and, you know, sometimes the, the greatest victories in life are not done by our arms or legs or, or our mouth. It's done by our ears. So just deep listening and practising deep listening really helps. Yeah, they're really great points. And to finish off, if schools want to find out more, how can they connect with you? Uh, they can jump on deadlyscience.org.au and they can send us a message via the website and we'll get in contact with them. Fantastic. Well, it's been great speaking with you, Corey. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, it's been awesome. Stay safe, stay deadly, and um, thank you for your time. That's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you can keep up to date with our latest episodes. If you want to keep listening now, you can access the 200 plus episodes already in our archive. And while you're there, we'd love it if you could rate and review us. You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher, supported by the Megamix Social Schools Program at Arts Centre Melbourne. Search Megamix Social to access free performing arts experiences for your students.